0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. Jeremiah 29 verses one through 14. It's a lot of scriptures. So the Spirit of the Lord is telling me that I still shouldn't read them, that you should read them together. All right, Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 14. When you're there, say amen to me. Amen. All right, ready? And let's read strong. Ready, read. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had forward from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeremiah. That's good. Oh, my. Oh, man. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whew. Amen, y'all did good let's pray real quick all right father in the name of Jesus thank you today that we gather around your word I pray father that it would be impactful and powerful God I pray that it would enlighten us father I pray that it would encourage us father I pray that we would grow today I pray that Christ would be lifted up today Lord and so father we thank you for everything that you will say and do today Lord I thank you God for capturing our hearts today father and so Lord Say whatever you want to say today, God. Say it how you want to say it today, Lord. And Father, I pray that we will be compelled to live for Jesus, that we will love Jesus, and that we will grow in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated finally. (laughs) My sermon title this morning is Live on Mission. Live on Mission. The Gallup organization who does surveys throughout the country on different Topics recently reveal that nearly 70% of employees are actively disengaged at their job. Let me say that again. The Gallup Organization survey recently revealed that nearly 70% of employees are actively disengaged at their job. Surprisingly, however, many of the reasons that people are disengaged about ultimately have nothing to do with their pay. Only 12% of people were disengaged because of their pay. Some of the reasons that people hate their job are as followed. Number one would be limited career and growth advancement. The second thing would be that work is not challenging and it's very unengaging. And then some stated that they hate their job Because of poor management and a lack of being heard by their employer. Not realizing though, however, that roughly all, that roughly 50% of all managers have had less than adequate training themselves. So maybe it's not your boss doesn't know what they're doing, maybe your boss hasn't been trained. This is a key because a recent study revealed that Generation Z, yep, there's somebody after the millennials called Generation Z, who, according to Forbes, are people that are born from 1995 to 2010. Forty percent of them do not like their jobs or hate their jobs because they would actually like more face to face interaction with their boss. And they think that if their bosses does not come and give them face to face feedback, that they perceive they've already done something wrong. Whereas in my generation, the, Lord, the if you don't talk to me, that's all right with me. Just let me do my job. Don't say nothing to me. Don't give me no feedback. Just pay me on the next Friday. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> Amongst these issues, we still have to deal with unfair pay, gender inequality in the workplace. Men still get paid more than women for doing the same work. Amongst many other factors, work can seem like a daunting and unfulfilling place. And on top of that, it is never easy to live, work or learn in a place that seems in staunch opposition to the Christian life that we've been called to live. And so there is real life drama that happens in the places that we work and in the place that we live. Work can be hard. Life can be hard. There's so many things to deal with, so many real hard things that we deal with on a day to day base in in the places we live and in the places we work. But things were much worse in Babylon where we find the original audience of this letter. Nebuchadnezzar the ruler of Babylon had just deported all of the notable and skilled people in Jerusalem from Jerusalem into Babylon. He took young people, old people, he took all of the notable people, dignitaries, religious leaders, prophets, priests, he took the craftsmen, the metalsmiths, he took lawyers, doctors, engineers, teachers, soldiers and officers. They took most of the skilled working class people to come and serve the kingdom of Babylon. But here's crazy thing they left the poorest of the poor but they took the best and the brightest and so babylon for all intents and purposes babylon is a symbol of evil babylon represents everything that is in opposition to god and which which can include people institutions companies cities and communities don't go to work tomorrow talking about i'm going to babylon I'm headed to Babylon. But, 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 but Babylon is a symbol of evil and things that are in opposition to God. And so they find themselves in Babylon. And so we must ask the question, how did they get there? How did they get there? How did they get to this place where work and life would be hard? How did they get to the place where they would have to work in a place that they hate? They got there the same way Adam found his job hard after the fall you see the reason why your job is hard is not because of your boss the reason that your job is hard is not because of the company that you work for the, the, the reason your job is hard is not because you're not fulfilled the reason why your job is hard is because of Genesis chapter 3 verse 17 after the fall and here's what God said to Adam who he put in a, a lush job with no co-workers with nobody in the cube next to him with the, the perfect temperature at work where he got paid what he wanted to get paid he set his own hours he worked from home he did whatever you wanted to do, but, but the fall happened, and then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, God says Sister to Adam, because you listen to your wife, the ground is cursed because of you, and from this day forward, all of your work and your labor will be, be bring pain in your life, and you will work by the sweat of your brow, and ever since then, there has been workplace drama. And so your, the hardness of your job has nothing to do with the people you work for or the company that you work at. It has everything to do with what happened in the garden. And so your longing, your longing for this fulfillment at work really is telling you that you long for a place that we have not arrived at yet, which is heaven. And so we, we, we experienced this. And so they found themselves there Because of their disobedience. If you read back in chapter 25 of Jeremiah, he said, because you have not obeyed my words, I'm bringing in Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to use him to punish you for 70 years. And so they ended up in Babylon, not because of some random event that transpired. They got in this predicament because they didn't listen to God. And sometimes we end up in places that we shouldn't be because we didn't obey God. And because of their disobedience, God uses a foreign adversary as an instrument to judge and discipline his own people. Wait a minute, Pastor. Did you say God used a foreign evil adversary to discipline his own people? What kind of God would do that? God can use somebody else to punish his own people? Yeah, because after uh, Nebuchadnezzar punished God's people, God then punishes punishes Nebuchadnezzar for punishing the people, even though God told him to punish the people. Did you, did you understand what I just said? God told Nebuchadnezzar to punish his people. Then after he punished his people, God punishes Nebuchadnezzar for listening to what God told him to do. And so Nebuchadnezzar was an instrument in God's hand. And what is that saying to you, pastor? That sounds sick and twisted. What I'm saying is this. God can oftentimes even use evil means to bring about good for his own people. You've heard it before. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. When it says all things work together for the good, it doesn't mean all perfect conditions. It means God can use anything to bring about his righteous means. God can use anything. And in this case, he uses Nebuchadnezzar and his people have to serve him. for 70 years, essentially, they would be there in a place that they didn't want to be for the rest of their lives. Can you imagine if God told you that you had to be at your present job for the rest of your life? There's nowhere nowhere for you to go. Will you be okay for working for who you work for right now for the rest of your life? Y'all like, I'm leaving. I'll be back next Sunday. They would have to work and live in a place that they hated. But God tells them this. But God doesn't tell them this and leave them without hope. God gives them a word of hope. He promised them that he would eventually actually restore them and take them back home. If you read chapter 24, he told them, although you will be in Babylonian captivity because of your nonsense, I will watch you. I'll keep my eye on you. I'm going to build you up there. I'm going to plant you there. I'm going to give you a heart to know me in the difficult place. You will actually grow in the place that you don't want to be. You see, God is more concerned about character development than career development. And so God is telling them, you will be in a hard place, but I know in that hard place, you'll be dependent on me. Because if I gave you the place that you actually want to be right now, you probably wouldn't pay me any attention. And so I'm going to put you in this place, get you right with me. Turn your heart right to me because I'm concerned about your spiritual well-being more than I am about upward mobility at your job. Y'all like, I don't want to hear none of this. But God is like, I'm with you right there in the hard place. I'm here with you in the hard place. God wanted to encourage them to trust him in spite of what they were experiencing. And so God was watching over them and God is watching over us no matter where we are, even if it's a place that we don't want to be at. God is watching over us. But in the meantime, he's telling them, get comfortable for the long haul. Stop looking for the end and embrace the present. Stop looking for the end and embrace the present. And so, just like people, Jeremiah wasn't the only prophet. There's another prophet, if you read through the story, another frost prophet came on the scene. And the people were mad at Jeremiah, obviously, for what he had to say. They weren't feeling what he had to say. Another prophet comes along. This prophet comes and tells the people, Man, that ain't what God said. God said it's going to be two years and you out of here. Next season is your season. It's going to be your season for breakthrough. Supernatural breakthrough is coming your way. If you just run around seven times, it's going to be over. You're going to be back home. Two years. Next season is your season. I can feel it now. I can hear it now. If you just bring your offering down and throw it at the altar, God is about to do a supernatural reduction of your life and your breakthrough is coming in a day now. And the people are like, yes! That's what we wanted to hear. We're excited. We're standing on our feet. Now we're glad because God said come into the house of the Lord because we're getting promised something that we actually want. We're excited about this because he's telling us, he's telling us that there's going to be a limited amount of time, although God didn't say that. This is what we want to hear. So this is what we're going to feed our spirits with. And so God is about to bring, do a miracle is what he's saying. And then something happened to the same guy. If you read the story, God struck him dead for lying to his people. This guy ended up being a false prophet. And so the danger of listening to people who tell you not to do your best or just wait, wait it out because God is about to do a new thing. God spoke back eventually in chapter 27 and God says, don't listen to these people who are prophesying you this stuff. They are lying to you. And so this is for all the times that our flesh tells us because you don't want to be at a place to give less than your best until they appreciate you. Until they come and pass you on your back, until your manager comes and give you feedback about your job. Don't do your best. Don't don't, don't give your best. Don't give your best until they make the the conditions perfect and the way that you like it. Don't do your best. Don't don't keep complaining and keep murmuring amongst your friends and family who co-sign on your foolishness. Do less. Detach your hearts if you don't get your way. That's what they wanted to hear, but the dangerous territory in that is that God doesn't approve of that type of behavior. God doesn't determine your faithfulness towards him in ideal circumstances. Faithfulness is determined by how you respond in all circumstances. Faithfulness is determined not when it's easy. Faithfulness is determined when it's hard. That's how you know when you're faithful. Don't neglect what God is doing through you now. He does not want them to overlook the present by occupying their minds about when they're going to get out. How many times have you pulled up to your job wondering how much longer am I going to have to stay here? You see, faithfulness need not be relegated to a future quality. It needs to be a present reality. Faithfulness need not be relegated to a future quality, but a present reality. Faithfulness faithfulness needs to be our present reality. Here's why. We are witnesses of God's goodness in all circumstances, especially in less favorable ones. We are witnesses to the goodness of God no matter where we are. The beauty of our witness shines through in the best, the best in the midst of darkness. The beauty of our witness shines through best in the midst of darkness. And so God's goal for us is to be more like him wherever we are. And sometimes the path to growing in God is often through suffering and discomfort in the workplace. In the workplace. There's a blessing in that. Do you notice Our previous generations worked hard and faithful, and they could stay at a job for 30-something years. You ever notice that? They could stay somewhere 30, 40 years. We squirmish in four months. Not to say you can't change jobs. But I think the difference between previous generations and our generation in regards to work is that our generation suffers from extreme entitlement and instant gratification. And that's not a good thing. We're not entitled to anything. You know why they they held on to those jobs for 30 and 40 years? Because they were just glad to have a job. They were glad to work. They saw the blessing in being able to work. Do you know what they went through to get there? But because we've had everything handed to us, now we want to set the conditions of how we work. When anything you do, if you make a living, if God allows you to use your legs and your hands and your brain, your mouth to work and do anything, that is a blessing from God, whether you like it or not. I'm trying to grow you up this morning. I know you've been on Instagram. I know that they're telling you the greatest thing ever. But do you know that if you are a janitor, that is a blessing. You honor the Lord in that janitoring. If you sweep up floors, you honor the Lord in doing that. If you are a receptionist, there's a blessing in that. Don't let nobody tell you otherwise. Because faithfulness is not about the job you have. It's about what are you doing with the one where you are right now. That's what faithfulness is. And so whenever the scriptures speak of work or labor, most often it speaks in terms of faithfulness, not fulfillment. Whenever the scriptures speak of labor, it oftentimes speaks in terms of faithfulness, not fulfillment. Rarely will you see that in scripture. And so one of the greatest struggles of our generation is seeing meaning in our work. And because oftentimes we don't see meaning in our work, we often turn to enterprising. We become self-made entrepreneurs or we attempt to. Not because we have the gift of entrepreneurship, but because we have a desire to help more people, but because we want independence from responsibility. So we try to boss up. And here's what I want to tell you. No Christian is a boss because if you're a Christian, you're always working for somebody else. You're never just working for you. If you own a business, you are still employed and working on behalf of somebody else. Stop letting people that you follow on social media and celebrities determine what significant work it is. All work is significant. Stop hollering you want to be a boss or that you're not cut out to work for anybody. Some people are entrepreneurial, but most are not. If everybody's a boss gonna do the work. I think some people confuse the gift of enterprise with laziness. You feel like you're not supposed to work for anybody, but what you really mean is that either you have a problem with authority or you got a spirit of laziness. Ooh, I'm telling the truth up in here. Because honestly, to lead and own something is a cause to do more work, to do work, more work than anybody else does, and to take on the stress that others don't have to so they can rest well at night. But you bossed up. No, you lazied up. <laughs> and so we have to let God redeem the way we see work. That if you're not a millionaire, doesn't mean your work is less than significant. You, you are blessed to work wherever you are. Be faithful wherever you are. The Lord sees value in our work even when we cannot. At work is a primary place where we fulfill the command to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so it's not about your employer or, or your manager or your coworkers. It's about loving your neighbor, even if your job is like Babylon. So what does God do when they're in Babylon? What does God do? He sends them a word. I love this, that God sends them a word like Jeremiah writes them a letter God told him to write. I love that. They they are in Babylon because of their disobedience. They are where they are because they disobey God. I need you to understand that. They are where they are because they disobeyed God. And God has Jeremiah write them a letter. And so even in the place of aggravation and frustration, God is still speaking to his people. Do you see the beauty in that? They are there because of their disobedience and and God is still willing to talk to them. That's crazy that although we are sinners, although we fall short often, God is still willing to have a conversation with sinners like you and I. That is a beautiful thing that God would still talk to us even in our disobedience. And here it is, God talks to them. them. He sends a word to help sustain them in the middle in the midst of their difficulties. Can you imagine their mental and emotional state that they have been taken from home and put in a place, and they feel sick to their stomach, that they got to live here and work here. They they probably still had their bags packed. They probably didn't even want to unpack. They're trying to find part-time jobs just so they can make enough money to survive until the exile is over. They they, they won't commit to to, to sitting down somewhere. They they, they keep their eyes looking like, when is this going to be over? They they won't commit themselves right where they are because they're waiting for the end. They can't live in the present because they're waiting on the future. And they probably viewed themselves at the time, like we do at our job sometimes, as abandoned and forgotten by God. Why does God have me here? But, But God doesn't view it that way. He views them as exiles on mission. That's how God views them. And so Nebuchadnezzar didn't take them to Babylon. God sent them there. Maybe God, maybe your employer didn't snatch you into the job. Maybe God sent you there. Have you ever thought that? Monday, you got to be to work at 830 and it's 835 and you're wondering, what have I done with my life? (laughs) God, why am I here? You, you ever felt that feeling in your stomach? Like, I, if, if one per, if one, if one just one person, say one thing to me this morning, today is the day I got all the time today. I want all the smoke. Yeah. <laughs> today, I want it today. You, you just feel that way? But maybe God is not viewing you that way. Maybe God isn't viewing you as an employee, maybe God is viewing you as a missionary. You're looking for meaning in your work. You got meaning in your work. You just don't want the meaning that God has given you there. That's not to say you don't look for upper mobility. That's not to say you don't look for a job promotion. That's not to say you don't look for a raise. But what it is saying, don't devalue where you are because God has you there. Don't devalue it. Don't don't undermine it because you're going to miss what God is trying to teach you. Maybe God is trying to prepare you at $11 an hour for $25 an hour. Maybe God wants to teach you something right there. Maybe you'll need that patience later. Oh, I get it. You'll work hard when you get to the job of your dreams. Well, when I get that job, oh, I'm going to show them. When I get there, they're going to see I'm going to show them. And God is like, but you're not showing me here. All you show me here is ungratefulness, tardiness, unappreciativeness, and you're not giving me your work ethic, but you're not working for them. You're working for me. And so God wants to speak to them right there as they're in that posture. And here's what he tells them to do in the place that not only they have to work, but in the place that they have to live. And here's what he says to them in verses five through six. I want you to put yourself in this context. The Iranians have struck back. They've won. They're on our soil. They're going to take the best and the brightest. They've landed in Orlando. And they're going to take all the educated people out of here. All the skilled workers that are taking them out of here. You don't get to go back to your apartment. You don't get to go back home. You're not hopping back in your car. You didn't turn on the CNN while you were in church, so you missed the news. We've been invaded by Iran, and they're taking us back there. And we don't get to say goodbye to anybody. Now, I want you to imagine, how long is the flight to Iran? I don't know. It's not important. I, yeah, yeah. It's 25 hours. Okay, cool. That's, that's far too long. I'm not going to make it. It's Thursday, and you're in Iran. There's no McDonald's. There ain't no Chick-fil-A. None. There's no Walmart. Target don't exist. For you bougie shoppers, Publix is gone. It's over, it's a wrap. It's no Publix. That car you had, you don't even have a car no more. Those nice clothes you had, you're wearing the same clothes from Monday and here you are in this foreign land and God sends us a letter and here's what he has to say in verse 5 build houses and live in them plant gardens and eat their produce if you're not already married find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters find wives for your sons and daughters Daughters to men to to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Here's here's what he says in Iran. Multiply there and do not decrease. Prepare for the long haul where you don't want to be. Get to the business of living. Matter of fact, put your bags down, unpack, take out your clothes, put them in wherever they told you to live. Get organized and get ready to live. Go out, establish a presence in the city of Iran. Be just as active and fruitful and industrious as you were back home. Pretend like you're home. Live as if you're not an exile. Make yourself right at home. Get involved in Iranian politics. Go on their version of Indeed.com, and find your job. Get involved. Find out who's in the neighborhood association that you live in. Enroll in some classes at Iranian college or Iranian community college, wherever you want to go. But get involved. Establish a presence right there in the city. Do some matchmaking. Do, do some matchmaking right there in Iran. Go, go find you somebody. Get in a relationship with somebody. What he's saying is, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And this is what he's saying to them in Babylon. They've been used to peace. They've been used to comfort. They've been used to home. And he's telling them, Make yourself at home where you are right now, in the world. Get, get married, get married, find you somebody. Stop thinking about you gotta move to Atlanta. You're not going to Atlanta, you're in Iran. <laughs> <laughs> am, I only, am I the only one that have, do you, everybody, do you, know, everybody you know is moving to Atlanta? Yeah. Why, what is, what is there? Am I, I've been there, I don't understand. Is it not in America? What is happening? Moving to Atlanta. So the problem about you moving to Atlanta is is that you taking you with you. Oftentimes the move ain't about the location. The move is about who's going. That wasn't in my I don't know where that came from. (laughs) He wants them to raise families right there where they don't want to be. He wants them to be faithful and commit to right where they are. He wants them to do what he said. In Genesis chapter one, verse 28, he said, he blessed them and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. He wants them to be fruitful. Be content where you are. Be faithful daily. Make the most of the situation right now where you are. We can no longer afford to put our lives in limbo waiting for an ideal situation or an ideal place or an ideal job. God wants us to be fruitful right now. He wants us to live on mission right now. What we think we're longing for is a new job and a new boss and a greater comfort and that may be what you need. That may be what God eventually gives you but what you're really longing for is heaven and we gotta see Jesus come back before that happens but until then you establish heaven right here on Earth. And so God is saying, I'm going to use you to build the city of God dead smack in the city of Satan. God wanted his people to love the city, not leave it. He wanted them to be actively engaged in their community where they lived. He wanted them to live on mission. Here's what he said in verse 7. He said, pursue the well-being of the city. I have deported you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for when it thrives you will thrive. He's saying, seek the peace and the well-being of the city rather than becoming detached and passive, actively engaged in bringing the grace of God to the place that he has you. The city cannot be at peace until the city knows Jesus Christ. So we turn on the news and Everything is going wrong and there's murders and there's corrupt politicians and there's a lack of resources. And there's no jobs and there's all of this stuff going on and we, things we can see on the news. But God called us as believers, whatever sphere of life that you're in, to be effective right there where you are. He's saying stop looking for the way out and embrace the present reality. That's what it means to live on mission. How will you ever be effective if you don't give the best where you are? How can you be if you're always in a posture of complaining and a posture of saying, I don't want to be here. What if you went to work tomorrow, or you went to school tomorrow and you said, you know what? I'm going to commit my heart to being right where I am. What could God do through your life? But if you don't commit, maybe, maybe you never find out. Because I can tell you this, by experience, the next job you get Your dream job is going to drive you absolutely crazy. And the chances are the next job you get, the next relationship that you get in, it's going to make you crazier than the one you are in now. So it's not about location change. God is trying to change this. God is trying to change this. He's trying to use you where you are are. And he's saying, bring the peace of God to the place that I put you. The peace of God will make you love your neighbor. It will make you have compassion on your community. And one of the ways that we seek the well-being and the peace of where we are is to pray for it. Can you imagine that? He says, pursue the well-being of the city and pray for it. He wants them to pray for the place that they don't want to be at. When's the last time you prayed for your workplace and your manager? Have, I know you I know you've talked about your manager behind his back. I know you've talked about her and said you couldn't stand him at some point in your juncture in your, your career. You've said that we've all had those conversations, right? OK, y'all love y'all job, right? All right. Fine. You love your manager. Send him a, send him a card. But for the rest of us heathens. When's the last time you prayed for the person that makes your life hard? Do you do you get out of your car on Monday and you're walking to the building? Father, I thank you for the grace of God that is on this place. Father, I thank you that that you grow this company. Father, I thank you that we have more of an impact. Lord, I thank you for my annoying coworkers. Father, I thank you that although I'm going to this cubicle, or I'm going to this space that I, I don't even like the person that works next to me. Father, I pray they have the greatest day ever. Father, I pray you protect this place that I'm in. Although I don't want to be here, I don't want nothing to happen while I am here. So Father, I'm praying for the peace of this place right now in the name of Jesus. I'm praying nobody walks up in here with a gun, nobody walks up in here with a trench coat, I'm praying nobody goes postal up in here today, Father. Although I don't want to be here, I'm praying for the peace of where I am. I don't want to go to class today, but Lord, I'm praying don't nothing happen on campus today. Don't blow up nothing, don't shoot nothing, don't detonate nothing, don't do nothing. I'm praying for the peace right where I am today. And that's what He's calling us to do to pray for where we are. Because it takes the same amount of energy and effort to complain as it does to pray. You're right. You're right. What, what, pray. Why? Because Jesus himself said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because when it prospers, we will prosper. Do you know this? That what they wanted most was to go back to Jerusalem But what they don't realize is that if God allowed them to go back, it will put them at the center of the destruction and devastation of Jerusalem. That unbeknownst to them at the present time, it is much safer for them to be in Babylon than to go back home. To go back to Jerusalem would have been to go there in the middle of the destruction. If they would have went back home when they wanted to go back home, they would have died because he killed everybody else. And sometimes you're looking to go back and you want things out of the way that used to be or you want to go back to where you came from. And God is like, you don't know. I'm actually protecting you by allowing you not to go back there. Yeah. But because you can't see it and you don't trust in my sovereignty, you can't appreciate where you are right now. Sometimes God doesn't let you go to a place to protect you, not keep something good from you. Because if they go back. They'll surely die. But if they remain faithful in Babylon, he made a promise that I'd take you back home. Maybe you want to go back and maybe going back ain't the best thing and you got to trust in the sovereignty of God. And so in these two commands to pray for and pursue the well-being of the city, essentially he's saying three words to them. Live on mission. I'm going to give you two examples or one example of what it means to live on mission and I'm out of here. In the audience, when he gives this speech in Jeremiah 29, he gives this speech to his large audience. I told you at the outset, all the skilled workers, the notable people, young and old, were there. All of the smart people were there. The doctors, the lawyers, the engineers, all of the influential people, the dignitaries were all there when he gave this edict and read this letter out loud about them building houses and pursuing the well-being and praying for the city. It was a large swath of people that were there well, if you know, historically in the Bible. During that time, there was a young man, a young Israelite who was in this crowd. He has a book in the Bible also, but he was there that day and he heard the words. I'm sure some were rolling their eyes. I'm sure some were murmuring, complaining. I'm like, some were like, just like some in the church here today, I don't want to hear this. The young man there that was paying attention, took the words to heart. His name was Daniel young man named Daniel heard this stuff, and Daniel took it to heart. And Daniel decided, I'm going to do the best that I can with the circumstances that I've been given. And so here's what it says after Nebuchadnezzar is dead and some time has lapsed, here's what it says in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. There's another king in place now. His name's Darius. Darius decide, decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to sur- supervise the high officers and protect the king's entrance. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn him. Don't give the people at your job a reason to condemn you and criticize you. He was faithful. He was always responsible. He was completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel would be in connection with the rules of his religion. you talking about workplace drama. They want to catch him up in something because they can't find no issue with his work. And they literally set out to sabotage Daniel. And Daniel says, you know what, I'm going to do the job where I am, but I'm not going to stop my worship. I'm going to be a Christian like he's called me to be. I'm going to be a follower of God right where I am. I'm going to do the best with what they asked me to do, but I'm not going to violate my faith. And so Daniel decides to pray anyway, although they said not to pray. And you know what they tried to do to Daniel? They tried to put him in the lion's den. So they tried to kill him for doing a good thing at his job. And even in the lion's den, God was there with him. I told you at the outset, God told him I'm watching over you, that even in this place you don't want to be. I got my hands on you. And Daniel is in the lion's den and it cannot kill him. Daniel gets put in a fiery furnace. It cannot kill him because God was with him. All because Daniel was faithful in the workplace that he didn't want to be at. God will protect you where you are. Daniel ends up working for four different Babylonian kings four different employers, four different supervisors, and he remained faithful with each one of them. And Daniel got promoted. And Daniel's not even from there. And So sometimes what you're looking for in the form of promotion comes in the form of your faithfulness when nobody else is looking. Daniel defines for us what it's like to live on mission. So as I close, here's what I'm saying to you. Your job, the place you live, it's not even about us. It's about who sent us. Living on mission is not about our personal endeavors, but it's about being a part of something greater. That Even at your job, you may be an employee of XYZ company, but really you're working for the king of kings and lords of lords. that even if your employer never comes and pats you on your back, if you never get a performance review, know that God is watching you. What would your life be like if you committed right where you were? And I know Atlanta is appeasing. <laughs> I know the real estate is cheaper there. Everybody you know this movie, Atlanta makes seven figures. What if God is using you to change the city right where you are? What if the blessing is not in moving, but the blessing is remaining faithful? What we're longing for in our job, the fulfillment can only come in Christ Jesus. Jesus. We are expecting our employers, our city, our government officials, our politicians to give us something that only Jesus can give us. So that fulfillment that you're longing for to find value in what you do and significance in what you do. Maybe this serves as a reminder to us. that Hey, I do have significance what I do. Because I'm employed by somebody else. That I'm not just punching a clock. That my work is redemptive. That every time I smile at somebody and I give them a pleasant attitude, that's redemptive. Every time I I I send off some document or I do some manual thing at my job, maybe it seems insignificant on the surface, but God is valuing my work. That That maybe my posture at work will affect change in somebody else's heart. Maybe it will cause somebody else to wonder why are they so calm in the midst of this chaos? where's this peace that they have? You see, Nebuchadnezzar ends up admitting because of Daniel's faithfulness. That Daniel's God is the right God. What would your employer say about your God based on you? What would the people at your job say about your Jesus if you were the epistle that they had to read? Would they be inclined to come into a relationship with him? Would they be inclined to come into a relationship with a God that only requires his people to be half hearted in everything that they do? Or would it be so appealing and attractive because of how you are in the workplace that everybody that has a dealing with you can sense the peace and love of God? What about your neighbors? What would your neighbors say about you? What would the people in your community say about you? Or would they know that? Would they not even know that you exist? God has called us for something greater than what we want for ourselves but he's called us to live on mission to get a part and be a part of what God is doing in the world because God is going to hold us accountable for what we did with the life that he gave us and today he's imploring us to live on mission God I'm going to commit to where I am I don't like it I'm not feeling it. I got to grow into it. Well, God, I'm going to give him the best where I right where I am. I'm not going to miss out on how you want to bless me because I'm not willing to be committed where I am. Maybe my life changes on the other side of my obedience. Maybe the doors open in my faithfulness. Maybe God is saying, if you become the best student that you can become. Then the floodgates will open. I can use you best if you are known as a faithful employee. That's what it means to live on mission. Jesus was always about his father's business, not his own. Will you be about your father's business or will you be about your own? Let us pray.